0: Thanks. All right.
1: Hello? Am I on? I think I might have done something. I'm on. Go ahead, Well, I'm excited. This is the third week that John's um actually shared this message. He started in Lawrence, and then he was at the church uh in Kansas City at City Life, and I was with him there. And uh I uh have to say when we started out on the series on Romans, I, I, I think, you know, we'd been working on it all summer and talking about it and I was a little like right as we were about to start it, thinking, oh, Are you kidding? Like this just doesn't seem like the thing. Like it seems just really heady or and to say that just in this journey, and maybe you feel like that, maybe you're like I still haven't quite got it yet, and if you feel that way, it's okay, you know, because I felt like that, and I'd been really working at it for a while, but um, I will say in, like, the last month, a lot of the the things that we've been talking about in these messages have really, like, just um, hit me in a deeper way, and I'm just so grateful that the gospel really is for everyone, and how God is um, still at work, and I think you know, you really have to do more than just show up, you know, to church on Sundays to appreciate, um, a lot of the things that we've been talking about and, um, how, how God intends to bring some of these things to bear in our lives. And I think over the last few weeks, um, I'm trying to still get my thoughts together because we drove in here with Adam. I don't think he's in here, but our, we have an 11-year-old foster kid, and all the way in here, we were listening. We started off with rap. Then we went to... Um, did make it to Lecrae. I did make sure we hit Lecrae. Then we were on Adele for a few songs, singing at the top of our lungs, and then we ended with a few Alicia Keys songs. So still, my head is still kind of ringing here, but... <laughs> but... um you know just this idea that you know that there is a new a new king and a new kingdom and that Jesus coming introduced a whole new way of life for us and um the whole idea of the beatitudes you know that that through this series i think i've just been reawakened to that whole idea of that hungering you know that god like sometimes we read those Beatitudes, have you ever read through those in Matthew 5, you know, blessed are the ones that um, are pure in heart, blessed are the poor, blessed are, and you. we kind of read those and think, I have to be that way. I need to be somebody who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. I need to be somebody, like how do I, um, how does God bless the poor? Well, if you've never been poor, or you've never experienced poverty, or you've never been entwined in people's lives who are poor, then it's hard to imagine why that matters. If you've never been in a place of like where you really hungered and thirst, you know, for righteousness, if that's not been something that in your own life, you know, you've experienced or you've been um, around people who you just think, oh my gosh, just the constant injustice, the constant You know um, oppression, then it's you know we begin to I think as Christians just kind of make things up in our head about what those things mean, and I think through this I've realized like God no that you know been thinking about that all wrong that God brings His kingdom through people who hunger and thirst for righteousness because of what they see or what they've experienced or what their how their lives are entwined with people who are experiencing those things. And, um, like, last night at our church, we hosted Family Promise, which I don't know if you guys have that here in Lawrence, but it's a ministry to homeless people. And they go through a program, and they spend a week in several churches. So there's been a group of 12 people with young children sleeping in our church this last week. And last night I slept there, and I just thought, man, these people, like, how, my gosh, like, the reality, you know. The reality of what, and sleeping in a cot like the one that they sleep in and waking up this morning at 6 and watching them pack up their kids and pack up a room because tonight they're moving to another church for a week, you know, and their hunger for wanting more and they're, and just, you know, it's like putting ourselves, it's so important to put ourselves with people and in situations where we can feel and be a part of that and, even recently, I was reading about how, you know, here in, in America, we, we, there's this issue of, you know, women in the church. You know, we think of it like up here as this intellectual kind of thing that we're going to decide theologically what that means. And I just think God just laughs at things like that. He laughs because here in the world, we see in the last few weeks, I don't know if you've seen the story, but that there's an awakening in Iran of all places, in Iran. Because the people who have been most oppressed and crushed and mistreated and abused and, you know, are women, are women. And that God is birthing, (laughs) like, a revival in the, it's like the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran, and it's led by women. And so, like, we live at one level here, but there's ways that we can encounter and bring God's kingdom by being among people who, you know, that he... And John has a great story, I think, to share. You know, we were in Kansas City a few weeks ago, and so I just wanted to encourage us with that, that that there's, there's just so much more that God cares about than our... I mean, does God want us to be morally excellent? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Sure. Yeah. But you know what? God wants us to bring his kingdom to people who... Um are experiencing a lot less than what we're experiencing. And that's the heart. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the little things you struggle with. Like I just was thinking today how the things that I felt that were so heavy on my heart when I first became a Christian, when I was 16, 17, 18, and the things I struggled with, those things are like a distant memory to me. The guilt that I felt then, the shame that I felt for those things, and I mean, are there still things I could feel guilty about? Yeah, probably if I thought real hard or if I asked John, you know, what do you think I should be feeling bad about this week? I mean, there will always be things, right? There will just always be things. But the way that God really intends us to live our lives is so much bigger than that and so much deeper and so much better than that that those are just like let them go, let them go. So that's all.
0: take that with you. Let's just take a moment. Let's just pray together over that. Father. Lord, really, we have a little need to just hear some more words, but Lord, what we need is just to encounter you around your Holy Spirit and truth. Lord, we. We need to be shaped and fashioned into the image bearers that You created us to be and to bring about Your purposes through, Lord, bearing Your image and causing things to flourish around us, Lord. We just ask this morning, as we look at this letter to the Romans, this little church and under the most awesome power of the world at the time, and Lord, what they did with it. Father, we just ask You to, Lord, help us to see Lord, what you want us to see, and be the people that you want us to be. We ask you for this in Jesus' name, Amen. You know it's amazing because uh, as we um, have this tagline under this series of Romans, it's good news for everyone. Good news for everyone. And so, uh, this we're talking about chapters five and six today, giving a little overview. But so two weeks ago, last week, I was at, back at our church in Lawrence. Morningstar Church. And the week before that, I spoke this message to City Life in Kansas City. And and so I, I went a little early, and Pam went with us. We both went a little early, and we were there. And we were just talking to some people, and in came in, this guy that was definitely in a place of need. He It, it was pretty obvious by what, what he would look like, that he very well could have possibly been homeless. He was pretty rough looking, and he just... Quietly walked in, and he sat off to the side over uh, in a little corner by himself over here. And, and so one of the ushers said, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. I, this, this gentleman's never been here before. We're just, we'll we'll kind of just keep an eye on him or whatever. And so uh, he just threw the message, I looked at him a few times. He, there was nothing. He was just listening. And so afterwards, as I met a couple people, and I saw he was still sitting there, I went over and, and sat next uh, to him. And I just asked him a little bit. And he, had, he had, uh, was a veteran. He had gone, he was 39 years old. He had gone through some pretty traumatic things that I won't go into. He uh, was self admitted that he was uh, a meth uh, addict. Uh, he had been living in the woods, he, uh, homeless. And he was there. And I just let him talk, I was just listening. Um, he started telling stories about different things that had happened. And then he started telling this one story. And in my mind, I was like, man, that, it's like I've heard this story before. And he kept talking and telling a little bit more. And then I was like, no, I know that story. So I interrupted him. I said, hey, I know that guy you're talking about. That's my brother-in-law, Peter Rutherford. And he goes, and I pointed to Pam. And I said, and that's Peter's sister, Pam. That's my wife. And he goes, looked at Pam, looked at me, and he goes, But what was, it was kind of the the essence of it was that, okay, coincidentals are over. Like he knew, whoa, wait, what's the chance, the likelihood that, because, you know, that I'm there, and I'm meeting him and talking to him, and he's telling me a story about my brother-in-law that lives in Lawrence, not in Kansas City. And so it was just amazing, and I talked to him a little bit, and then I introduced him to Pam, and... Pam talked to him for a little while, but then afterwards, it's like, "Hey, man, what?" He was definitely impacted. He, God was the Holy Spirit had come upon him. God was doing something, and so there was a sense of like having, wanting to steward that. And again, the good news is for everyone. It's just amazing. So, we we talked a little bit, and then, "Hey, what do you want us to do? Where do you want to go?" And long story short, there was just he had been in Lawrence. He didn't want to go stay in Kansas City. So I said, "All right, just." ride with us back to Lawrence. So, you know, there's a, I was thinking at least there's a community shelter, whatever. So, he came with us and he just started telling stories. It was just so fun. I mean, it's like, I, 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 I turned off the truth indicator. It's like, I don't care whether they're true or not. It's just like, man, this is like, hey, whatever. They're fun. So, I just listened. We talked. We had a nice little interaction. We got back to Lawrence. around one o'clock in the afternoon. And so, we had uh, some family things. It was our 30th anniversary the following Monday. Our kids had, had planned this little surprise thing for us, so we knew that that was uh, something we needed to be available for, so we dropped them off at the Dairy Queen on, on Mass Street, which is the main downtown road in Lawrence, and, and said, look, we'll be, I'll, we'll be back here at 6.30 if there's anything we can do. We can don't know what at this time, but Whatever, we'll be here at 6.30. If you want our help, we'll be here. So we weren't sure, you know, if he was going to be back. 6.30, we came, we went in, we sat down. Just a little after 6.30, he walks in with another guy. He had gone to a all, like all veterans AA meeting that afternoon, and the guy that was with him was a guy that was down the road in his journey of recovery. It was just amazing. And so we sat there and talked, and he's he's really not quite all there. You know, it's hard to really kind of look, look at him like square up in his eyes he's just he's been through trauma and the meth but the guy there is really helpful he's, he challenges him they talk in a way that I wish we did a lot more just really straight up let's get to where you want what do you want what do you want to do you want to get well? You want to and so Mark is the guy's name and uh, Casey was the guy that he met at the AA meeting and so Casey says you want to get well you need to go to detox and Mark goes okay man I'll go to detox and so Casey, we wouldn't have been able to, Casey got on the phone, called Vallejo in Topeka, which is an outreach place, miraculously got a room that night, and I said, okay, I'll take him. So I wound up taking him to a detox in Topeka, We drove in there, set him up. It was amazing. Somebody had canceled, so they had this room available. So he got in, uh, had to take him to the hospital for, he had some medical things, so he had to first go to the emergency room at St. Francis Hospital. I took him there. They were wonderful. Got him back. Got him back to, to Vallejo. It was about 11.30 at night. It's all in. I leave. Ten minutes later, he calls me. He goes, oh, man, I don't know about this. Man, this is hard. And he could laugh left any time. I say, like, man, look, just go to sleep. Man, one night, you got a nice bed. Let's just, you know, one day at a time. Sweet Jesus, uh, that's all. We're asking for you, from you. And so he, he, uh, he says, man, he goes, I have abandonment issues. You, if I call you... <laughs> If I call you at 9, will you answer? I go, of course I'll answer, man. You call me. And go, I'm going to call you at 9 in the morning. Make sure you answer. So uh, so went to bed. I had my phone. Made sure at 9 that the ringer was on. 9 o'clock came. No answer. No call. No call. And so I just went, ah, man. But something about, I just kept believing and praying. Uh, just, just praying more than believing. But I kept praying. And so 1 o'clock... I'm at this event, the phone rings, I pick it up, it's him. He goes, dude, I just woke up, and man, this is the best place in the world for me. Man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to finish it. So long story short, he goes through the six days of detox. He gets out, not yesterday, but the day before. I pick him up in Topeka. I take him in. We spend the day together. Man, he looks so much different. I find him a place. He's staying with a couple in our church. They're working with him, and it's just amazing. He's like, he's completely different guy. Last night, I took him to an event We're at uh, Wayne Simeon's house with uh, Greg Tipton, and they just loved it, and, and it's just amazing. But I just want to set that groundwork, like, because, you know, it would be easy to look at that guy and said, whoa, God, let's just try to manage him and keep him from doing anything bad, you know. But God, the good news is for everyone. And so what's really amazing is, I went to high school in Manhattan, I was not somebody that people would have thought. Hey, the good news is just around the corner from that guy. <laughs> By any stretch of the imagination, that's that's not true. That man, but to see God do things beyond what maybe we can think, and I think that's what we need to understand the groundwork here in this book of Romans. That this 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 credible opportunity of this. Community that's giving allegiance to Jesus Christ, as Pam said, the new king, new management for the planet. And all the challenges that they will face, not only in terms of their dynamic as Hebrew believers and and, uh, 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 Greek believers, but just the dynamic of being dropped into this place under this um, amazing, incredible, worldly, dominating power, and how their faithfulness and the fact that they took to heart what Paul wrote, and through their efforts, they, in essence, changed the world. And that's what's amazing when we think about this, that this is, this is not only good thoughts, but this is history in the making. And so when we think about chapters 5 and 6, let's just think about it in terms of this, a new and free humanity. Because that's what Paul wanted them to be, a new, a new humanity and to understand that and a free humanity. And so let's just begin in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been made right, there we go. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Man, what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ has done for us. But, man, this, this again, that because we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. You know, recently I read a, about an older comedian whose quick wit and endless supply of jokes had guaranteed him really large crowds for several decades. But when he died his published obituaries told a little bit more of a bleaker side to his life. When he was young, he had had a falling out with his father, and, by, and, and, and that relationship had never been mended before his father passed. And now, in his life, he had had a falling out with his son, and his, he and his son had never made amends before he passed away. And, uh, and it's just when you think about that, just that... that The tragedy of that, I know there's a movie out right now, I haven't seen it, so I won't uh, give any spoilers, but the Ad Astra movie is an interesting take on this father-son relationship where the father's played by Tommy Lee Jones and the son's played by Brad Pitt. It's kind of a sci-fi thing, of course, but it's just an interesting take on that. Uh, but, But think about this, knowing that there's someone there, only a phone call away, only just a phone call away, who is one of your closest blood relations. And yet, they won't speak to you, and you don't want to speak to them, or even to see them, or to really have anything to do with them. And that going on for years, this broken relationship. There's something, you know, we should think that's disturbing about that whole picture. And yet, I know that not only that comedian, but a great many people today live exactly like that in relationship to someone close whom they've had a fallen out with and never had it repaired. And, you know, that, that, but there's even a greater tragedy than that. A vast number of human beings live like that in relationship to God. You know that, uh, that they, they have that same kind of falling out with God and it's, it's unrepaired. But here in Romans... Paul, in chapter 5 in particular, is, is talking in this chapter 5 about a reconciliation to end all reconciliations. It's a beautiful picture of this reconciliation, and in particular, this this, this concept of of what I want to talk about right now, and that is, since, you know, when we, when we think we've been made right in God's sight, we ask, okay, what do we get from that? What do we have being made right with God? What? Is it a warm glow in our heart? Is it a kind of a sigh of relief that, you know, our sins are forgiven? A new understanding of what it means to belong to God's people? Yes, to all those, but more, much, much more. At the center of this, at what Paul writes, is we have peace with God. Peace with God. This open flow, being at peace with God, an open flow of communication. You know, like, like it's not fractured, it's restored. An Peace with God, we have an open flow of community, a connection that provides us with an underlying sense of security that we're, we're, at, we're in God's world and everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be okay. You know, we have to understand here in Romans chapter 5, after having laid a foundation about the gospel in, cha- in chapters 1 and 4, Paul now is beginning to build the structure of a picture of the Christian life in which the, all the ancient promises of God that have no, been known about for years are beginning to come true in a real way. And at the center of these promises is that God is establishing a loving, welcoming, personal relationships between Himself and between other human beings through what Jesus Christ did. And so although in theory we may be able to grasp that idea that God, that at the center of this, this peace, this open communication, and we can grasp that's God's intention to have a relationship with us, that he's done a lot to try to reach out to us, you know, that he wants that. It it sometimes comes across to us as it doesn't seem that's very easy for us to take advantage of that, and it doesn't seem really all that natural. You know, the reasons may be for that, like what we talked about the first week in terms of our propensity as humans to like, m- want kind of some independence and autonomy. So we kind of like push God out. We push Him out or we push His truth away. And, you know, we're, we, 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 we think about our behavior. But not only our behavior, but our thinking. Our thinking about things and our thinking about this relationship with God and, and even our feelings about this, have been so warped by our rebellion. It's kind of a strong word, but our rebellion and our idolatry that we assume, because our mind and our thinking and our feelings have been so warped by that, that, it's, that it's, we assume it's hard to establish a relationship with God. And even if we succeed at having one, man, whew, it's going to be a whole lot of work to maintain it goes on to say this, because of our faith, faith, in verse 2, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. I mean, I can't read this without being reminded of what it says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place. Christ, Jesus, has brought us into this place. It's so easy for me to read that and think back about my story about coming to Jesus back in 1982 as a freshman at the University of Kansas. I was there. I had, I had gone to Fort Hay State one semester terrible experience, not because of Fort Hay State, because of me. I came here, my dad got me a job at Manhattan Steel and Pipe over the summer. It was so bad. I was like, oh man, if my life doesn't, I didn't know how my life would change, but I go, if my life doesn't change, this is going to be one miserable life. So I went to KU. I lived off campus. I just went to class, went home, went to class, went to home. It's about all I did besides a few other things. And I was, I had gone on campus one day and had been impacted by a uh, an event that a Christian ministry would, had been holding. They had invited me to come back that night. And so the whole day, the whole afternoon, I went back home and all day, oh, I'll go to that meeting. Ah, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to that meeting. Well, oh, maybe I should go to that meeting. No, I'm not going to that. So finally I had decided, man, I'm not going to that meeting. You know, I'm not. I've tried that before. So. I determined that I wasn't going to the meeting. I actually went, walked away from the campus. I went into a store. I was in a store just browsing around, looking. And then, killing some time. After I was in there for a while, I came out of the store. I walked to the corner of this major intersection, south of campus, down towards Walmart. If you guys know anything about Lawrence, it doesn't matter. But I was at this intersection. I'm at the intersection, I promise you. I look up, and there's, and the light, goes green, yellow, red, just like that, green, yellow, red, boop, and then all of a sudden this, this bus going up to campus slows down real quick and stops right there, and so here I'm on the corner, there's the bus on the other side of the street going that way, and I just go, well, I guess I'll go to the meeting, and I walked in front of the bus, and I started climbing up the stairs on the bus, and the bus driver looked at me, really gruff, kind of an older guy, gruff goes, hey, you're lucky I'm a substitute bus driver because the normal bus driver would never let you on the stop. This is not a bus stop. At the time, I was like, whoa, okay, you know, whoa. I didn't know at the time, like, whoa, what was that all about? But anyway, get on the bus, go to the meeting, and that's when I have this life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ where I'm like, man, I can't do it. I'll trust you, God. Amazing event. It's almost like when I think back how, like, I had such little to do, really, with what Jesus Christ has done in my life. All I did was let him bring me somewhere where he wanted to take me. That's what Paul's writing here. And he wants to tell us, hey, look, will you be willing, don't dig your heels in, and let Jesus Christ bring you somewhere where he wants to take you. He wants to bring you somewhere. It doesn't matter where you're at. No matter how good, how much you know, how much you've experienced, he wants to bring you more and more into what he has for you. Will you let him bring you? And he brought me, he brings you, and there's a sense there of humility. But company with that humility is this really underlying powerful thing that actually gives joy. It's called gratitude. It's gratitude. Gratitude. That's what those, that little church in Rome had. An amazing gratitude that somehow they found themselves in allegiance with a new king who had accomplished and defeated the foes of God at Calvary. And it's giving his grace, and he's brought them to a place in which they stand. You know, it's amazing when we think about that. We didn't earn it, we brought into this place. Undeserved privilege, it says too. Undeserved privilege. I know the word privilege could have a trigger these days, but man, undeserved privilege. Each of it, this state of grace, surrounded by God's love and His generosity, again producing this gratitude. And it goes on to say, confidently and joyfully looking forward to sharing God's glory. A we'll reference to what we've been talking about here the last few period, a few weeks is like being image bearers. God's glory. Sharing God's glory. God wants to share His glory with us as we are bearing His image that we display the goodness of God and, and God's heart for other humanity and other image bearers in the world in which we live. That we give of ourselves to cause it to flourish. That is God's glory, His image, and bearing it. We share God's glory as image bearers. We're invited to breathe it in as our native air. This, this gratitude, this this confidence, this joy. This is what's true and what human existence should look like. As we continue to inhale, really literally, just right now, as we continue to inhale His goodness, His wisdom, His power, and joy, we sense we are being invited to go all in on being as image bears. To go all in sharing God's glory. We look forward with joy, to join with God in His purposes, ruling and reigning. I love this quote by N.T. Wright. He says this, When we are reconciled to the God who is our Father, we discover that He wants not simply to enjoy one-to-one relationship, but to enlist us in His service and working for His kingdom. And that will bring all kinds of pressures and problems which will require us to hang on in faith and hope even when we don't sense His presence, even when it doesn't feel as though there's anything happening. We mustn't imagine that our feeling of being close to God is a true index of the reality. Emotions often deceive. Paul is summoning us to understand the reality The solid rock beneath the shifting sands of feeling. Imagine how important that is to those people in that community in Rome at that time that they would not be able to rely completely or to some incredible significance to their feelings, but to have something dropped in their heart beyond their feelings, a truth, a conviction that they are at peace with God. Our feelings, emotions often deceive. This invitation into this way of thinking and living. It's like all of a sudden, when our feelings, when our feelings start thinking, you know, you 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 kind of you're, you're kind of you're, you're outside God's peace right now. Well, how, you know, you you didn't do you didn't do as much as you did last week, or you didn't do this, or you didn't do that. You know, blah, 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 blah. that's how my brain works. Just to share it with you, <laughs> it's like no, 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 no. Which has been helpful to understand because, um. Kind of towards the end of August, I was diagnosed with uh, this, it it's used to be called, they used to name diseases after people, it's, it was called burger's disease, not hamburger, it's with the an e. I know I was like, if I would, yeah, that would be something, yeah, I can see, yeah, burger, baby pizza too, okay, but uh, it's just an autoimmune disorder with the kidneys, and the way that they, they treat it, and they, they treat it successful, so I'm, I'm not going to be writing an obituary anytime soon, but... The, the way they treat it is with a, uh, a kind of a stronger dose of prednisone, which is steroid. And a prednisone is a pretty effective drug, but it has some crazy side effects, and one that I think you'll find humorous if you think about me. First thing it does is increases your appetite. Like, wow, thanks. That's all I need. My appetite, okay. So, increases your appetite, it, and it slows your metabolism down. So, you start eating more and burning less calories. Wow, what a perfect recipe. Uh, it also... I'm not normally this round in my face. It makes your face a little puffy, you know? So normally, I'm a couple sizes smaller in my head. But that's another thing. But the thing that is relevant to our discussion this morning while we're here, trying to make this meaningful, is that uh, it makes you irritable. And your feelings a little out of whack. Um, So, for example... A couple of weeks ago, we were in the backyard, a little fire pit, and the grandkids and our friend Adam are are uh, roasting marshmallows. I'm sitting there, seemingly pretty pleasant. I'm kind of, you know, not that yet irritated. All of a sudden, though, they start as sometimes kids will do, and maybe you do this, and this is a lesson to be learned. They they light they light the marshmallows on fire, right, and then blow them out and think they've roasted them. And there was something in that moment. That hit me at the right time with the pregnancy zone. I yelled out, "Hey, stop that! That's cheating!" <laughs> well, wait—that's the pregnancy zone. It's like, okay, wait, no, no, sorry. I was still like, "Hey, I don't—I didn't really want him doing that," but it's like, wait, that was a little way over the top, right? <laughs> so, while what's interesting is on this medication, I got—I re- realized, don't don't trust my feelings. Don't trust them. So when I get off this medication, man, you you guys will not know what to think about me. I'll be so strong, strong as ten men. So, But when you think about it, that's what Paul's writing here. Just think about what the church there in Rome did have to go through. Man, I love this movie. If you haven't seen it, you should try to watch it. I was amazed at how good it was. It's called Paul, Apostle of Christ. It's on, uh, it's out there. Go find it. Uh, Paul, Paul uh, Jim Caviezel, is that how you say his name? Something like that. He played Jesus in the other one. He plays Luke, and another guy plays Paul. It's really ama- It's all about those church in Rome. It's amazing. But, um, but this church, and all they had to go through, being fed to the lions, the circus, the Rome, Rome Nero lit them on fire and torches because he blamed them as a scapegoat for the a fire that burned in Rome, all of that. But they had to know... They had to know that we have peace with God beyond our feelings and the circumstances. So it goes on in verse 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Which doesn't literally mean going to heaven when you die. I hope we're getting there. It means being made whole. Sozo is actually the word, the Greek word sozo, the, the salvation, being made whole, being restored back, being defragmented, being put back together in wholeness to where we are image bearers. We're not fractured image bearers of God, but we are becoming restored and being more more fully the who we were created so that we can that's hope of being that. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, to fill our hearts with this love. Again, this little community under large shadow, the world's most dominant power. Paul's establishing this structure for them. That he's invited them into this relationship. He's invited them along this mission of being His image bearer, and He's sending them into a broken world with its promises, uh, with its problems and trials, and being about God's purpose. So we end there on chapter 5, go on to chapter 6, and Paul kind of takes a pivot, and also it's a little bit of an aside, because what he's going to do here now, he's going to talk what I've entitled, in chapter 6, is really the problem of sin. And it's the problem of sin, and really it's about what the, the, the effect sin has on our sin, uh, not the, the problem sin has on our image bearing. That sin fractures our image-bearing. But Paul wants us to see what this sin is and in the context. So we'll just, we'll just get, keep going. Romans 6, verse 1, it says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ, Jesus, in His baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died, and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Now Paul uses baptism to help paint the picture of of our new status. There's been a change in our status, and you could really say it's been a change of our allegiance. This is what we're going to talk about here, how sin has to do with our allegiance. And sin is much more than behavior and and a list of behaviors. And idols have more to do with just values and attitudes and things we surrender our heart to. We have to understand here that Paul is talking about this problem of sin in light of allegiance. And he refers to baptism because baptism is a change of status, and in particular, a change of allegiance. For example, when, I love that picture of the three ladies, the three women that got water baptized, and I'm sure that you all didn't do this when you baptized them and you wouldn't expect it. But back in the old school days, maybe 100, 100 years ago or so, when someone was about ready, oh, I just got baptized in my own drink of water. Uh, I thought I might do that. So, uh, shoot. Uh, when, they, when they got baptized, they would, they would stand them up, and they would say, before they got baptized, do you renounce Satan and all his works? That was the question they would ask them. Because it really was a question of uh, allegiance. Because baptism is a change of allegiance. Going from allegiance to the powers of darkness in the world forces to allegiance to the new king, King Jesus. It's an amazing thing when we think about it. So Paul is appealing to this understanding in terms of sin to baptism because sin is also about allegiance. And so also the Jewish Christians, and this is so interesting, the Jewish Christians would have easily also thought back to the Exodus story. The Exodus story of how God and Moses went and delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and led them out through the Red Sea. That was, co- that was a common uh, analogy for baptism for the Hebrew, the Jewish Christians. And so, but not only did they see God's, in, in the Exodus story, God's victory over Egypt's Pharaoh, they also saw it as God's victory over Egypt's gods. I want to just introduce that, Egypt's gods. Now, the ten plagues Moses and God put upon the Egypt during that time directly correlated to the ten gods that Egypt worshipped. I won't go into all that, but just think about that. So, when the Israelites came through the dry ground on the Red Sea... Then Pharaoh's army and chariots and horses tried to come after him, and the waters came down and they came out on the other side. They began to sing a song of praise and thanksgiving to God for what God had done. And in that song, there's, one, there's a line where they give gratitude or acknowledgement. In uh, Exodus fifteen four. Pharaoh's chariots and army he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. So they gave acknowledgment of the, of the death of the soldiers and Pharaoh. But also, uh, but also to the gods of Egypt. In, in verse 11 it says, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. Again, this is this, is this understanding that there was a defeat, not just of human beings and natural oppression, but of supernatural spiritual oppression we're going to draw the analogy that there's something beyond just behavior in regards to sin that sin is not just personified in this but sin is an intelligent dark force coming to try to enslave us and to do keep us from being the people that God wants us to be in this unfractured image bearing and an incredible the Bible project has an incredible series on this Uh, entitled The Spiritual Beings. It's amazing. You can look at that. I would strongly encourage you. But what I want to say here is that this is an important way to read Romans, particularly 6, and then particularly on how we understand sin. So let me just read a little more about what it says and just thinking about this. Verse 5. Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful selves we're crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we now we we since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over Him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God, so that you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. So, there you can just see, kind of just hear something. It's a real hindrance, though, to our Christian life when we don't view things with the breadth of understanding that Paul and the other writers of the Bible did. You see, since sin isn't just acts of disobedience, idols aren't just bad deeds or value we surrender our hearts to. They are powers or forces of evil. They animate things to try to entice us. You know, the way that they viewed... Idols in the writers of the Bible, they, they viewed idols not just, the, like I said, uh, like these, these uh, uh, deeds or values, but they saw idols as animated by spiritual forces, empowered to some degree. And so we can see how they, they have, when Jesus said, you can't serve God, he was challenging the people. You can't serve God and mammon. He was talking about a particular idol. He was talking about the, the spirit of wealth, the idol of wealth. And so, what in essence, what he's saying here is you can't serve two gods. Either your allegiance is to Yahweh, or the new King Jesus, same, or to another idol. But they weren't just idols in terms of deeds. They were idols in terms of God, small g. And so when we think of this, it is again, in essence, this this allegiance. That that sin is is about the context of allegiance. Who are we giving our allegiance to? And we see when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by uh, the devil, a retelling or retempting like in Genesis 3, he did not give his allegiance to the devil. He didn't surrender. And he came back. And what did he immediately do when he came back to Galilee? He started casting out devils, which had never been done before. Because it was a spiritual conflict. He was not aligning. It's not like he just didn't, do, didn't tempt to do bad things. He, he was tempted to give his allegiance to some other force other than the Father. He resisted, held his allegiance to the Father, came back and started kicking things and taking their names. And that's what we need to see. So when we read Romans 6 freshly, sin seems to be personified like an intelligent entity moving toward a strategic end in our life. What is that end? Death. Sin as an enemy, power or force opposing us from being the image bearers we've been called to be. Ephesians 6.12, man, just says it so plainly. we probably read this a million times, or maybe not that many, but quite a few. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. But, doesn't say we're not fighting, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So when we think about victory over sin, we have to think about an allegiance issue. Now, this is amazing because this is the context and the proper way of understanding reality because this is what reality is. So your struggle against sin isn't just a struggle of, I'm going to stop doing bad and start doing good. It is a struggle against a force that's trying to get you to align yourself outside of Jesus the King, into aligning yourself with a different force, a dark force. So when I was in college, you know, became a Christian at age 19, gave my life to the Lord, you know, the first as a natural human being, and a male, you know, like the, the, the enemy to overcome would had to be lust. Had to be, I understood that this was something that I needed to fight, to overcome, to defeat, so that I could be the person God wanted me to be. But what was amazing about it, I never thought about it in terms of, am I going to do a bad thing or a good thing, but that it was a force coming after me to try to master me. That I would stand up to it as an entity from outside, trying to entice something inside of me to do something that inside of me, my true identity, did not want to do. So that when I was on the campus and the thought to lust came upon me, I had no deception that somehow there was something bubbling up out from within me, you know, and I was already somewhat, you know, uh, guilty, because I even had the thought, no, I understood, oh, no, no, that foul thing, no, no, and even hell, no. Because that's what it is, it's hell. Hell, no. just have to learn to cuss appropriately. And so they're, they're just this gaining, this victory, gaining this victory. And these things and these way of living, because, because there is a principle that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. A lot of times we're just wrestling with ourselves. Stop that. No, it's not. It's no, 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 no. You know, this is perfectly illustrated and very powerful. And this is why Paul's writing here. He's trying to help them understand the nature of sin because they are in a decadent world in Rome. I mean, it is not a pretty picture. They live in the midst of decadence. And they want them to understand that, hey, you are clean and can be clean even in the midst of such decadence because you understand it's the allegiance that matters, and you can walk in the midst of great darkness, and your heart constantly be in alignment with Jesus Christ, and you become an image bearer. You're not trying to figure out how you can get your neck gig on. You're worried about trying to pull a child who's been thrown away in the dumpster. You're trying to see how can you live your life in a way that that brings about the flourishing and the nature and the kingdom of God in the midst of great darkness. Because you're not tied in to just learning how to manage your sin, but to overcome it through allegiance to the King who gives you the victory through Christ. But in an amazing way in Genesis 4, I'm going to land this plane real soon. I promise you. Just Genesis 4, 6 says this is important. Adam and Eve fall. They have two sons. They have Cain. They have Abel. Cain is the tiller of the field. Abel is the, the... He has the flock. They both give a sacrifice for some reason. Abel likes Cain. God likes Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's. And that gets Cain crosswise. God approaches him, and we find this in verse 6. God says, Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. What's that sound like? Sin is crouching. It sounds like a, like a lion or tiger, ready to pounce on the prey. Sin is crouching. Sin is crouching? Sin sin is crouching? Yeah, like what? Like a beast. Like an enemy. Sin is crouching at the door, eager, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Wow. See, either you will master sin, our sin will master you. When we quit being God's image bearers, we don't just become just, you know, just mere humans. I'm just going to live a neutral life. And I'm not going to really get, go all in for Jesus. I'm just going to live kind of a quiet, nice life. You, you you don't, when you quit being an image bearer, you don't get to choose to live that kind of nice life. See, we have this idea that you can be like neutral either you're an image bearer of God or you're an image bearer of the kingdom of darkness. That's just how it is. There's no human, human don't have the capacity for autonomy. We're called to be image bearers. So the thing is is like, oh, you know, either either you're going to be an image bearer for God or you're going to be lastered by the beast and you'll be like a beast, you'll be like an animal, like a cute little puppy. No, you will be a beast. You'll be like a monster. Sin makes us beasts. It makes us monsters. And so here Paul is just writing to help this church understand this context of how to live in victory. And then he concludes by this. He says, But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you, don't need, now you, don't, now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That doesn't mean the place of your final destination. That's talking about the quality of your life, the free gift of God kind of life, of being an image bearer in the way that God created you to be, to live, that that you are being given this gift of God, this eternal life, this God kind of life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, when we think about this and just think about how this church in Rome receiving this letter, and as we've talked about how Paul uh, sent that letter, and maybe for the very first time it was read in a little little house under the hill of a mighty power. And just thinking the effort that went forth to help secure this as, as a beachhead of the kingdom of God underneath the auspices of this incredible power. And as Paul's writing here about peace with God and knowing who they are in Jesus Christ and the relationship they have with God. And then he's talking about in chapter 6, this, this power of sin and this struggle with this spiritual entity, helping us to try to understand you know, how we can wage war. And what the, what the most important thing to walk away is, is all under the context is that we really don't defeat the enemies. We just apply the defeat that Jesus Christ has already purchased when He went to the cross and He defeated death and hell at the cross. And our life is now applying that to the work that He already did. And so as we, as we begin to close, I just want us to think about this. If you just close your eyes and I'm going to pray for us. Father, I just, I thank you, Lord, that as we're here, in your goodness, I thank you, Lord, for your amazing work. I thank you, Lord, that you can do an amazing thing. Lord, I just thank you for my friend, Mark, who you rescued right out of the woods. But, Lord, you desire to bring us into some more. Lord, I pray that whatever, Lord, it be that would cause us to resist you bringing us forward, to be the image bearer, to be all in to being the image bearer. Maybe it's pride. Lord, maybe it's just insecurity or fear. Maybe it's just apathy. Lord, maybe it's just a a selfishness. But Lord, I pray right now that you break every back. I pray, Lord, you'd break every tentacle of everything that would keep us from being the people that you would desire us to be. Lord, every little thought, every little feeling, Lord, every little, every little attack, every little stronghold, every little just glitch, every like, well, I'm not going to ever do that statement. Lord, I break the power of that through the power of the name of Jesus. I break its yoke. I break that pride. I break that self-sufficiency. Lord, I break that right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank You that You've called us to surrender, to be all in, to give your full-hearted allegiance to you, King Jesus. I ask you, God, to open our eyes to see the schemes of the enemy. Lord, and I thank you that you're causing us to see the promises you purchased for us at the cross, that they are all yes and amen. And I thank you, Lord, that you are doing a work. And Lord, I command right now, Father, for the spirit of gratitude to come out of this church like never before, Lord, a gratitude, a generosity, of spirit, Father, as never before. Lord, I thank you for that, right now, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, stand up. Oh, no, go ahead. Hey, I'm not, I'm not. Thank you, so thank you so much, John. Man, what a powerful
1: message, right? It's so encouraging.